Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Could you put your hand up for me if you were well behaved at school? Put your hand up. Jack's got his hand up. That is a lie. Um, put your hand up if you were well behaved at school. Okay. Put your hand up if you were maybe not so well behaved at school. A couple of people are honest. Thank you. A couple of people. Um, this might come as a bit of a surprise to you, given how lovely I've turned out. Um, but I wasn't always the most popular with my teachers at school. Um, a lot of my school reports use the word cheeky or talk too much. Um, I'm sure that none of you will believe that at all. Uh, but I think the high point of my high school career, this was my best moment, or maybe your low point, depending on how you look at it, um, was in my year 11 maths class. Now, um, I probably wasn't very bothered by my GCSEs. I was a bit more bothered about looking funny and popular um, and didn't do a very good job of that either, but that's fine. Um, And one day, my teacher went into the little storeroom that was in our classroom. You know where you keep all the books that you never actually really use, but there seems to be a massive room anyway. Uh, And one of my friends dared me to push the door closed. And so I thought, oh, great opportunity. I can get a laugh out of this. Brilliant. Um, And so I kind of got up and scuttled over and pushed the door to, and everyone in the class laughed. And I was like, yes, I'm a hero. This is a great moment. Uh, And I should have stopped there. That would have been the good time to stop. I'd had my laugh, job done. I reckon the teacher maybe would have laughed as well. Um, But for some reason, my head thought it'd be also really funny to turn the lock in the door and lock my teacher into the store cupboard. Um, And so I did this, uh, and all my class are absolutely wetting themselves. So I'm feeling like the big man. I'm feeling like a hero. I'm like, yeah, I've got everyone laughing. Look at me go. Uh, And after what I like to say was about 10 minutes or so, but I think it was probably more like five seconds, but I'm going to go with the 10 minutes because it sounds better for the story. Um, The teacher, she'd kind of appeared. You know the little window panes they have in the doors? And she'd kind of appeared, and her face went like, And she was like knocking on the door, and the flipping goody two-shoes of the class, who I did not get on with, um, she kind of went... And she's gone, oh, we'll let you out, miss. It was James, miss. Um, I hated her. Um, I'll I'll repent of that later. Uh, I'll repent in my heart. She grasped me up and she said it was me, and I got a week's worth of detentions for it. Um, But I thought that was well worth it because everyone in the school thought I was like, you know, I'd played the prank on this teacher that everyone was scared of. uh, And I thought I was the big man. Now, um, we're all grown ups now, most of us. Uh, and I think all of you, especially those of you who put your hands up who were the goody two-shoes, I saw a lot of judgment on Rachel Roche's face. Uh, clearly, that's the teacher in her that's kind of uh, having a bit of a panic. Um, a lot of you are probably judging me right now, I feel. But I think, when I was reflecting on this sermon, I think that story really says a lot about human nature. And it displays a lot of what's inside a lot of us. Maybe I'm just not as good at hiding it. Um, We all long for autonomy. We want to be in charge of ourselves. And we don't want others to think someone's got control over us. Okay, we want to be the big man. We want to be the popular person. Um, Whether it's kids acting up for a teacher to try and show that they're not scared, to show that no one's in charge of them. Um, Or whether maybe it's slating your manager at work behind their back. Uh, Maybe it's kind of refusing to acknowledge something someone's trying to correct you on, or maybe it's even something small, like, you know, the kind of don't cross the grass signs, and you kind of go up to it and you do a little bit of that, Um, just so that you can feel like, yeah, I'm not under someone else's authority. Um, And we're going to continue our series this morning, Life Changes Encounter with Jesus. Um, And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew 8, 
verse 5, which should appear behind me. Maybe. Otherwise, I'm going to need someone to read it out. Um, Matthew 8, ah, perfect. Matthew 8, verse 5. Um, And we're kind of just after the healing of the man with leprosy um, that we did last week when Luke preached to us, which is just after the Sermon on the Mount, which we spend about three months looking at. So you should all be pretty familiar with this segment of the Bible. Um, It says this, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Um, So that is Matthew's account of the start of our story. And what I also want to do in a second um, is I want to go into Luke's gospel, and I want to look at it from a different perspective perspective, um, because I think there is a bit of a helpful lesson for us here. Firstly, in how we read our Bibles, um, especially the Gospels. Um, And so just a bit of an explanation, if you're new to the Bible, um, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and they are all different biographies of Jesus. So a biography means someone has written a story about Jesus's life, the account of Jesus's life. And each of those authors have written their perspective, uh, written their accounts with a different perspective. Um, so to help kind of get our heads around this, let's say we went on a church beach trip. Um, I've got, I spent ages going through these photos. I had so much fun. We went to the beach in August. Put your hands up if you were there. A very small amount of you. We had a great time. Um, it was very fun. If you didn't come, unlucky, you missed out. Um, and let's say, um, for whatever reason, and I don't know why we'd do this, let's say me and Jess, we both decided to write biographies of Dan's life. Um, Now, I think that would be a terrible idea. That would be a very boring read. Please don't buy it. Um, But let's say we decided to do that, and we got to... Sorry, Dan. It's just because you slated me earlier. I thought I needed to get my my own back. Um, Let's say we got to the chapter about the beach trip. So me and Jess are both writing accounts of Dan's life, um, and we both went to the same beach trip. We were on the same beach trip, but Jess travelled in a car with Dan, and I didn't. So maybe Jess would record some of the conversations that happened in the car. Uh, We went swimming in the sea, which was actually surprisingly warm. I quite enjoyed that. Um, But I got out sooner than everyone else, so maybe I'll have remembered something that happened when we were, like, Dan losing his glasses or something like that. But something else may have happened after I left that Jess would write about in her account. So we were both went to the beach with Dan. We were at the same place, but we might write quite different accounts of what happened. Um, in court, sort of when two eyewitnesses are asked to testify, often the lawyers will expect there to be a slight discrepancy between what people say. If two eyewitness accounts are exactly the same, it looks a bit suspicious. It looks a bit like they've colluded to kind of change the story. Um, So often when we read the Gospels and we read the same story in different Gospels, one of the things that helps us to know the Gospels are genuine accounts is because there are differences between them. It's not like it's just one story has been made to fit another one. So, with all that in mind, about how each of the Gospels is looking at things from a different perspective, let's read Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 8. So, when Jesus had finished saying this, all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. 
if we flick it on. Um, He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. That one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Now, I don't know if you noticed when we flipped through those, but there are two quite different versions here. So Matthew tells us that the centurion comes to Jesus. Whereas Luke tells us that he first has a chat with the Jewish leaders um, and then he sends his friends to talk to Jesus. So which one is it? Um, I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels this way and you've read accounts and been like, I don't quite get that. I don't quite get how that marries up. Um, And I think there's two explanations here, um, both of which are possible. The first one, Luke, um, who was a doctor, so I'm just going to say he's probably better at paying attention to detail and those sort of things. Don't know why I'd think that. Um, He was probably more of a stickler for detail. And so maybe he wanted to get the account bob on, whereas Matthew's tried to do a bit more of a shorter summary. Or, which I think is the more likely here, both are different parts of the same story. So first, the centurion um, spoke to the Jewish leaders. Then he got really desperate and he sent his friends. And then he got even more desperate and he sent himself. Maybe Matthew and Luke have just saw or written down different parts of the same story. Um, And the reason I highlight this is firstly because I think it's a good lesson for us. Often when we read the Gospels, it can be challenging when we're trying to mash accounts up. Um, But also because I think we can learn something from each account. I think each one highlights something different because each is focusing on a different thing. Um, And so to get our heads around that, we just need to know uh, that back uh, then in kind of first century Israel, there were two groups of people. So we've got Jews um, and Gentiles. Now we've covered this before. Gentiles are basically anyone who isn't a Jew. So it's like saying in Manchester, um, you might have Stockport County fans and then everyone else is a non-Stockport County fan. Um, It's kind of putting the world into two groups by either Jewish or not Jewish. Um, And as you can see here, Jesus and Matthew, they were both Jews. So when Matthew wrote his gospel, he was writing it to Jewish people. Whereas Luke, on the other hand, like the centurion, they were not Jews, they were Gentiles. So when Luke was writing his letter, his letter was to people who weren't Jewish. And I think that explains some of our differences. Because when Matthew was writing in his account, he was probably trying to emphasise a little bit that God, um, having favour with God, wasn't about just being Jewish anymore. Because that's what the Jews believed. They believed they were God's chosen people uh, and that their favour from God came just because they were born into the right family and they were Jewish. Um, So he's probably missed out some of the bits that Luke's put in about going to the Jewish leaders and so forth, because he doesn't want that to be the emphasis. He knows the Jews would read it and be like, oh yeah, it was all about the Jewish leaders making the connection, they fixed him up. That's what made this story go well. Um, He also, Matthew, says something else in verse 11 and 12. We're just going to read this shortly. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. So when the Bible uses this phrase east and the west, it basically means really, really far away. So for Jewish people, that means Gentiles. So people coming from the east and the west means Gentiles, basically people who aren't in the centre aren't Jewish, um, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, so again Matthew's writing this, so subjects of the kingdom are Jews, um, so he means Jewish people, but the Jewish people will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Essentially what Matthew is trying to get at with his perspective of the story is trying to 
emphasised for all his Jewish readers, Jesus is starting to mix it up. He's starting to change it up and it does not matter anymore that you were born into the right family. That's not important. It's not about the fact that you were born Jewish. If someone has none of those things, i.e. someone from the East and the West, i.e. a Gentile, they have full access to Jesus if they have faith. Um, Now this is a bit of a stirring point. Um, stirring the pot, stirring point, I don't know how to phrase that, a bit of a stirring the pot situation, shall we say, for the Jews, Um, because they believe that just the fact they are Jewish, the fact they were born into the right family and they've obeyed all the right customs, like getting circumcised and so forth, they believe that's what made them right with God. And so our first point this morning, I just want to emphasise, if you are here and you don't feel like you are from the right background, if you don't feel like you've come from the right family, maybe your family was really tough growing up, or maybe something different, maybe you sit in church sometimes and you worry that, you know, oh, I didn't know all those Bible stories that everyone else learned in Sunday school as a kid, so maybe my faith isn't as good. Matthew's perspective on this is a reminder that actually that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you didn't come from um, you know, a family where you learned all the Bible stories growing up and came to Sunday school. It doesn't matter whether you came from what you see as a great family or what you see as a terrible family. All that matters is your faith in Jesus. So I think that's what we can learn from Matthew. Um, and what I want to do now is flick around to Luke's account and see what we can learn from Luke. Um, now Luke as a Gentile, he focuses a lot more on the centurion who was a Gentile. So let's have a look a bit more about the centurion. So first of all, a centurion servant who is master valued highly. So this is a bit of an odd thing to read in the Bible because Jews and Romans weren't really great friends as a kind of general summary. Think of sort of Nazi Germany and World War II. The Romans were occupying Israel. They were occupying the Jews. So they were equivalent of the occupying Nazi Germany power. Um, They did not get on. But despite the fact that the Jews and the centurions were theoretically enemies, okay, the the Jews and the Romans, sorry, I've mixed that up. Uh, The centurion was a soldier. Let's come back to the right bit. I'm reading on way ahead in my notes. The centurion was a soldier. Um, So the centurion, um, he is the Roman power. He is the occupying power. He is the person who is in control. Um, He is the big man. He would not have been in that society in any way obligated to care about his servant. Servants and slaves, they were really, really common, um, and they were essentially treated as property. It's not someone you care about, not someone you value. Um, They are just someone to be passed around and used however you wish. And what we see that is different about this centurion is that he cares about his servant. He values his servant. He loves his servant. This kind of lowly person who he has got no obligation to love, he loves. Now, let's flick on to the bit that I accidentally read way too quickly. Um, The relationship with Jews and the Romans was not the best. So if we flick on to verse 4 for us, Lily, um, you see... um, Oh, no, go back for us. There we go, the bit at the bottom. Um, You see that the Jewish leaders, when they're talking, they say, this man deserves to have you heal him, essentially, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now, as I was saying before, that relationship between the Jews and the Romans was not a good relationship. 
The Jews were being occupied by the Romans. They were being taken over by the Romans. And so for the Jews to turn around and say, actually, this guy deserves your help, Jesus, to say to one of their own teachers, because that's what Jesus was. He was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. To turn around and say, actually, you should help this non-Jewish person. There is something massive there. Clearly, this centurion is well respected by the Jews, even though they're his enemies. Now, the verses suggest he's either given money or time. Now, because of his job, probably that's money to help build the synagogue. He's described as one who loves them, even though he's a Roman centurion. And what we see here is we have a centurion who has no obligation to, because he's the one in power, he's the one in charge, who is loving his enemies who are beneath him and below him in the power rankings. Let's go on one more. So this is the centurion talking now. So despite the fact the Jews have been bigging him up and they've been saying, he deserves it, look at him. He is great. He's built us this synagogue. He's given lots of money. He's done all those things. The centurion's perspective is, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider myself worthy. I did not consider myself worthy. He is a humble guy. He doesn't turn around and be like, oh, Jesus, you've got to heal me. Look, I'm, I'm a big man. I've got an important job. Um, we see in verse uh, 8, uh, the same thing we see in Matthew, where he's like, I tell this person, go, and he goes. This person, come, and he comes. He can tell people what to do, and he is the boss. But he doesn't try and leverage that. He doesn't try and bargain with Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, I'm important. Yeah, I deserve that healing. Or, Jesus, you've got to come to my house and heal me. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I don't consider myself worthy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not convinced I always get this right. Sometimes I probably wouldn't say it out loud and I probably wouldn't admit it, but I definitely think it when I'm praying. God, I deserve you to do this. Yeah, I think about, um, God, look at all the things I'm doing for you. You know, I'm, let's say, I feel I'm called to be a doctor. And sometimes my job is rubbish. And God, I'm doing this for you. And um, I feel like you've called me to run number 11. Um, and I'm doing this for you. And I feel like you've called me to run a church. And I'm doing this for you. And sometimes these things are hard. And they make me tired. And they wear me down. Look at what I'm doing for you, God. Why don't you answer my prayer? I deserve you um, to heal me. And it kind of sounds a bit horrible and a bit stupid when you say it out loud. But I think sometimes I can fall into that pattern. That actually, God, I deserve a bit more comfort. I deserve things to be a bit nicer, a bit easier. Because look at all this that I'm doing for you. I don't know if you ever think like that or it ever crosses your mind. I think back to the start um, about teenage James who just wanted to show that I could do what I want. That I wasn't under the authority of anyone else. That instead I was the popular one. It was all about me. And you see it in the Jewish leaders, verse 4 that we've just read, where they're like, he deserves it. The Jewish leaders, the the Jews are very much works-based. So they believe that, you know, you deserve it because you've ticked all the boxes and you've done the right things. He deserves it. Whereas actually the centurion gets it. And he says, I do not consider myself worthy. And I think this is probably the most powerful line in the whole story because he recognises who he is and who Jesus is. Um, It's not something any of us like to admit, but actually in the hierarchy of things, we're here, Jesus is here. But so often we go wrong because we see ourselves as up here. We see ourselves as really important, the focus, the centre. The whole point of it is about me and making me happy and me comfortable. Whereas this centurion, he gets it. 
I do not consider myself worthy. And then finally on verse 7, he says, just say the word. Okay, he completely trusts that all Jesus needs to do is say the word. He trusts and believes in Jesus' authority. And I think a lot of that comes from he recognises in his humility that he is no one. He is not worthy. But he trusts and believes all Jesus needs to do is say the word. So Jesus' response, verse 9, let's flick it on. We see, Luke 10, verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such faith even in Israel. Now, this is um, one of only two times in the whole Bible that we see Jesus is amazed. We only see it twice. And the other time, he's basically saying, I'm amazed your faith is so bad. That is pathetic. And so this is the only time we see Jesus being amazed in a positive way. Um, And this is a turning point because the centurion, not only does he get that highest praise that we see from Jesus in the whole of the Bible, this is the highest praise we see Jesus give someone, but he is also the first non-Jewish person, the first Gentile who has been healed, who has come into God's kingdom. It is a complete turning point. And I think the reason we see that with this centurion is because of that humility. He recognises who he is, And that helps him recognise who God is. So to close it off, Matthew 8, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Okay, breathe. We've kind of ripped through a lot of uh, scripture there. Um, There's a lot to get our heads around. Uh, Just pause, take a breath. Um, And just for the last five minutes or so, um, I just want to look at what we can learn from Jesus, what we can learn about our faith in Jesus from this story. Um, And so in all kind of good sermons, there's three points. So I've realised I probably need to put three points into this sermon. Um, So firstly, from Matthew, it is not about your background. So Matthew, if you remember, was writing to the Jews um, to remind them, basically, just the fact they were Jewish was not enough. That was not going to cut the mustard. That was not what Jesus was about. Jesus was saying, actually, it's about faith in me. As Paul kind of writes in Galatians, uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus wants to show you life in all its fullness. And it does not matter what your background is, whether you grew up in church or not, um, whether you feel like you have a great family or actually your family stories really hurt you whether you feel really successful or you feel rock bottom of the pile, Jesus wants to come into your life and heal and restore to show you that you are loved and to show you that actually his way is the best way. That invitation is open for everyone, no matter where you've come from. Okay, point two, back to Luke. Uh, So that was from Matthew's perspective. From Luke's perspective, one of the things we learn is it is a character thing. So the centurion is the only person who Jesus is amazed by in the whole Bible in a positive way. And what have we seen about him? He loved his servant, even though his servant was a nobody. We don't even learn his servant's name. He was that kind of insignificant. He loved and had favour with the Jews, even though they were his enemies. Um, He humbled himself before Jesus. He was generous with his money. He knew who he was and who Jesus was. It is a character thing. I'm prepared to bet, obviously we're not betting people in church, but if we were, I am prepared to bet that this centurion's faith did not come from nowhere. 
Okay, now, um, it says he helped build the synagogue. You would not build a synagogue quickly back in those days. They didn't have cranes and JCBs and all those different things. That is a years and years and years worth of project. So I think we can infer from the passage, this guy has been around for a while. He's been around for a while, loving people, showing his generosity, caring for the people that he didn't have to care for. Um, This is a man chasing after God's heart. Um, Now, there's a bit of a mystery here about how that works, because we don't really know if he read the Old Testament. He's helped build a synagogue, so maybe he did, um, but also he's a Gentile, so probably he didn't. We don't know. Um, We're still kind of pre-Pentecost, so that means the Holy Spirit hasn't come on everyone at this point. Um, And so I don't really know how that works, but we see in the passage this man's character, this man's heart is reflecting Jesus. I am prepared to bet his faith where he just says, oh, Jesus, just say the word. I don't think that came from nowhere. It is a character thing. And that brings us to point number three. Um, So we um, see in this story, Jesus is amazed by the man's faith and the servant is healed. But if I'm really honest, I don't think I always have that faith. I don't think my faith is always as good as the centurion. Um, So some of you um, who know me will know I've struggled with pain in my back for about 10 years or so. Um, I had radiotherapy many years ago that did not agree with my spine. Um, And I'll be honest, sometimes I think I believe God can heal me, but I don't think I always believe that he will heal me. I think I've lost faith for that. I've just kind of got used to it now. I live with it uh, and I just feel like that's probably not going to happen. Now, before I carry on, I just want to clarify, in this instance, we see Jesus healing because of someone's incredible faith. Um, But in other instances, this isn't how or why healing takes place. So I'm not saying healing only takes place if we have incredible faith. But I think in this story, we see it's significant. Um, So I'm not going to answer the question of why some people get healed and some people don't this morning, um, mainly because I can't offer a phenomenal answer to that. But what I can say is I would highly recommend a book called God on Mute, by Pete Gregg. He talks about his wife uh, who had brain tumours and seizures and so forth and wasn't healed. Uh, And there is some excellent stuff in there on unanswered prayer. He's got kind of 15 reasons why prayer may not be answered from our perspective. And I found it so, so helpful. I would really recommend that book. Um, But that is outside of the scope of this morning. What we see in this story is faith matters. So what do we do when we don't feel like we have it? What do I do when I feel, like I, I feel like I've lost faith that God will heal my back? Or you have lost faith that God is going to move in this situation or that situation? Um, I want to give a really simple answer to that, and it's going to come all the way full circle to some stuff that we've looked at over the last couple of months, and that is practice. Okay, we see quite a lot in the Bible. Uh, there's multiple references, but 2 Thessalonians, faith can grow. Uh, we see in Romans, we grow it by hearing about Christ. And so that's all the stuff we looked at over the last couple of months. Having time every morning where we sit and we pray and we get stuck into our Bibles, being together in church and community groups, learning about Jesus, our faith grows. We see in James chapter 2 that we grow our faith by doing stuff, by practising Taking that little step, trying to be actually, I'm going to challenge myself with my finances. I'm going to try and be more generous. I'm going to challenge myself by sharing my faith with that person at work. I'm going to challenge myself in this way or that way. I'm going to try and challenge myself to spend more time reading my Bible. Whatever it might be, those little steps a bit at a time grow our faith. And so if you are here this morning and you are really struggling 
And you're like, actually, I don't think I believe Jesus can heal me. I don't think I believe in this situation being able to be resolved. I don't think that Jesus can sort this out or that out. That's really hard. It's a really tough place to be in, and I get that. And I feel like I struggle to have faith for those things sometimes. I struggle to have faith to believe Jesus is going to heal my back. But at the same time, I look back to where I was a year ago and I recognise I have more faith now than I did a year ago. And I look back five years ago and I recognise I have more faith now than I did five years ago. And I have seen my faith grow. And so even though at the moment I am struggling with that faith, my plan is to push into Jesus and hope that that grows. Um, There's an absolutely fantastic line um, in the New Testament, it says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain about what we do not see. And that's what we can do together as church. In those moments where we're struggling and we're like, actually, that's great for the centurion. What a wonderful thing that he has such amazing faith. But I don't have that. I'm not in that place. Faith is learning to be certain about what we hope for and certain about what we do say. And that is a learning process and we can practice that and as we practice as we practice opening ourselves up to the holy spirit as we practice getting stuck into our bibles making time to pray making time for other people and making it more about other people than ourselves as we um, open ourselves up to the holy spirit doing a work with us our faith will grow and we will see more of the power of jesus authority working in our lives and so it's not the most um, you know jolly woo yeah kind of note to finish on this morning But I think it's a really powerful lesson that we learn from this centurion. I think we see, first of all, that it's not about our background. It does not matter where you came from. But we also see there is a character in there. Something has been happening in this centurion's life for years and years and years as he is learning to be loving and generous and to focus on other people that has helped him get to a point in his faith where he can say, Jesus, just say the word, my servant will be healed. And we can get there. We can get to that place where we have faith that Jesus can, but that grows and it comes with practice. If you're here this morning and one of those things hits you, so maybe you feel like your background isn't the right background. Maybe you feel like you've been hurt by your background. Maybe you feel like you don't know all the things that you want to know. You don't know all the stories that you feel like everyone else knows. Maybe you're here this morning and you're really struggling to have faith. You're struggling to have faith that you're going to be healed, that a situation will be resolved, that something will change in your life. Or maybe you're struggling with someone else who needs healing. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, but nothing's happening. Um, I just want to give us a moment to just stop, reflect. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you want so it's not awkward and everyone's not just like looking at each other. Um, Maybe for some people here this morning, maybe we need a bit of the centurion's humility. I know I definitely probably need some of that at times of recognising it's not about me. That it's not that I deserve God to do this. But actually just God is so much bigger and greater. I just want to invite you um, just to close your eyes um, and just to reflect on that. What is it that you want to bring to Jesus this morning?